Hello, and welcome to the Educated Art Review, a podcast by art history students for art history students. I'm Olivia. I'm Madeline. And I'm Anya. And today we're talking about contemporary art sculptures and the controversies within them. We're going to go outside the Sacramento area as well as within. So I guess who wants to start first? Do we want to start local or do we want to go... No, I think we should start yeah. local okay. and then, like go out. So my sculpture relates to the Sacramento area, and I'm sure that everybody has heard of it. It is Jeff Koons's coloring book sculpture. It is an 18-foot tall stainless steel sculpture that is in the middle. It's by like the Golden One Center. Have you guys seen it? Yeah, it's. I'm rolling my eyes. Do you <laughs> do you know what the actual content of the sculpture is? No. What is it? So it's called Coloring Book. It is supposed to be a child's rendition of Piglet from Winnie the Pooh holding a shovel. What does that have anything to do with Golden One Center? That's the controversy of it, right? What does that that have to do with Sacramento? That's the controversy (laughs) of it, is that Sacramento spent $8 million acquiring this sculpture from Jeffrey Coons, and it 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 was a massive disappointment in 2016 when they realized that they were getting a sculpture from an artist who wasn't local to the area. It could have been money that was reinvested into the artist community here, but it wasn't. Um, And then to have a coloring book sculpture placed within a sports and venue arena... Makes no sense. It makes no sense, right? So that was really the majority of the outrage. There's nothing to really be too riled up about. What do you guys think? I think I remember I took a like a monumental art class and so we talked about it and it was like Sacramento officials who were gonna buy this sculpture decided mm-hmm. to like it was part of like a storage warehouse sale for like Jeff Koons. It wasn't an actual like let's get this specific sculpture. It was like mm-hmm. let's get a Jeff Koons piece. We don't care which piece it is. Mm-hmm. Let's just get it. So it wasn't even made for the city. No, it was it was like something he made in like the 90s. And then Mm -hmm. it was just sitting in storage. And they Mm -hmm. were like, yeah, let's take this. So for everybody who doesn't know who Jeffrey Koons is, he's a contemporary artist. I would put artist in very loose terms. (laughs) He's most known for his stainless steel balloon animals on a large scale as well as a small scale. That's like his iconic callback. What was weird about this sculpture being put in the Golden One Center is it was actually one of many sculptures that was put into the Golden One Center within the same period of time. So we had Brian Valenzuela, who created Multitudes Converge. He was an artist who was from Northern California. He was commissioned $350,000 to create his work, which had over 400 blown glass spheres in an abstract version of American Sacramento River. Oh, that's cool. Convergence. Yeah, so that was something that was Sacramento-related. It mm-hmm. was commissioned around the same time. We also had Bill Fontana, who created Sonic Green, which if you've ever looked at the Golden One Center side of the building, he's a sound composer composer and there's these plants that are growing off of the side of the building and it's related to like this immersive experience almost and then they have speakers throughout the center that plays like bugs and imagine if they had given them more of the budget yeah what what Jeff the Jeff Coon sculpture would have got. And then apparently there was another one, Gail Hartz, which was placed on L Street specifically to reinvigorate L Street and to compete with Coon's coloring book number four, the Piglet sculpture that we're talking about. It was like the hand with the darts and the Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was a couple of artists who were very much so active in the Sacramento area and yeah. were active in Northern California, and yet they still decided to make the most expensive piece of art 
that was focal to the Doko area. They could have had Wayne Tebow make a giant piece of cake, and it would have been more Sacramento-based than <laughs> Jeff Koons. Yeah. I would have loved to see that Sacramento-American River convergence. Sorry for making you laugh earlier. I tried no, I tried, but I no. I tried but. Googling Sonic Green, and I got a Sonic <laughs> character. <laughs> it... <laughs> Ex- it was, excuse me, it was Sonic Passage's Green Wall. Got mm. it. So, so this is the one. So it Sonic Green. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you've seen it before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I can't with Jeff Koons because he just works off of this workshop model, which I understand or, from like a perspective of manufacturing and production, but to call yourself an artist when you're using a team of artists and designers to design your work. But I'm going to pose a question to you. Contemporary art is all about utilizing items we have today. Wouldn't manufacturing be part of that? It would. I think it's a personal opinion for everyone about what constitutes art in the contemporary era as art. I have an issue with Jeff Koons mostly because he's more of a businessman than he is an Mm. artist. He doesn't sketch. He doesn't physically touch any of the works that is produced by him. To me, as somebody who is an artist, just to me, it feels very impersonal. He's more of an art dealer than really being an artist. Mm -hmm. But what is art? Yeah, well, (laughs) thanks, Olivia, for getting all philosophical. Well, that's part of art history, isn't it? Asking questions. Yeah. Well, I feel like that is part of the controversy, right, is that they bought a work of art from an artist who didn't even really touch it, who has controversy surrounding whether or not he's even really an artist. Mm -hmm. And as so why not give it to an artist who, in quotation, deserves it, right? Somebody who is actually playing an active part in creating their artwork, but also is active within the community that the artwork is going to be displayed. Yeah, I mean, they could have at least picked somebody that was Sacramento-based or, Mm -hmm. you know, grew up here or something. It's almost like the issue that has been coming up with wide open walls. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people have an issue with wide open walls because the artists that they bring in are, like, international rather than local. Yeah. And so some people, their number one gripe with it is that these artists who are coming in are not representing the community as it needs it to be. They're coming in and they're creating generalized representations of heroes and pop culture figures rather than people who are significant to Sacramento and our history. I could see that. Yeah. And I think that's, it's valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that's the controversial Jeffrey Kuhn sculpture. I could go next because I'm doing a little bit of a related one. Um, so for those listening, Anish Kapoor might sound like a familiar name. If it doesn't, um, it might jog your memory to know he was born in Mumbai and he currently lives in London. Um, and he mixes um, architecture with art, which was kind of related to Jeffrey Koons in a way. And if that does not sound familiar, maybe his controversy with Vanta Black does, and the feud it started with Stuart Semple and the art community when he was the only one that could use Vanta Black. Or from The Bean in <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> which he hates everybody calling it The Bean, yeah. but it just needs to be called The Bean. That's part of the controversy, actually. Um, so for context, it was... Revealed in 2004 when the park first opened, it actually was unfinished. The bean itself was welded of 168 like stainless steel plates, mm-hmm. um, and the weld marks were still visible when it first was revealed because they hadn't smoothed it down just yet. And then um, to that point, Kapoor actually made a statement saying, at least it's there on the opening day. If only as a semi-finished project, one gets a sense of what it's going to be. So he was happy it was still in the park, but very, very quickly it got a name and a reputation. Kapoor has a habit of not naming his pieces until they're fully done. And 
what is currently known as Cloudgate did not have that name at first, and Chicago very, very quickly began calling it The Bean, which Kapoor was not happy with. He said, I just as happily do without a title, actually, except that it suggests a possibility of interpretation. In this case, the work is clearly reflecting what's around it, picking up the Chicago horizon, the Chicago skyline, bringing it into itself in a way. And it is a gate, a gate to Chicago, a poetic idea about the city it reflects. To call it something else damages the potential for a different way of thinking about the piece. So he was very unhappy with the name The Bean. And that does bring up, I have two questions that this kind of brings up in mm -hmm. controversies. First is, when you're naming a piece, doesn't the artist get the first say? But it is for the city of Chicago. So yeah. wouldn't Chicago need to have a part in that naming process? Yeah, I mean, my philosophy is, you know, if it has like a moniker and a nickname before you even name it, maybe just go with that. Mm -hmm. um, but also, if he wanted it a different name, he should have named it before it was mm -hmm. released. Yeah. It's also to a point, it does look like a big old bean. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, they're not just calling it the bean for, like, arbitrary reason. It, it's a giant bean. Mm -hmm. It's shaped like one. Yeah. <laughs> Personally, I it like the bean. <laughs> I, I actually didn't know that that was its intention, like, its meaning that it was supposed to be like a reflective gate. I thought it was Chicago. just cool looking. Um, That's what I thought yeah. it was, just like an interesting take on like minimalist sculpture. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it probably wasn't the initial meaning. It sounded like Kapoor just made this statue and then was like, well, oh, that it does what I do during look critiques. like a gate. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's <laughs> very relatable as an artist to be like, I'm not gonna name this piece and then you finish it. You're like, well, it kind of looks like, and then you name it. Mm -hmm. It was a trend in like 16th century where painters didn't name their paintings. This came later on when art historians were actually studying them. Mm -hmm. Then they started gaining names. Like a lot of Vermeer's paintings are just the doctor's visit. Yeah. Like five of them, they're all named the exact same thing. Because our historians, when they were making it, they're like, this doesn't have a name. We're just gonna call it what it is. It's a doctor's visit. I think another part of the bean that's controversial is when it had a, I guess a sister sculpture created in New York. Oh, York, yeah. This one. Oh, yeah. And everybody got really up in arms about the image of Chicago and how Cloudgate was this pilgrimage site. And now there is... Nobody goes to Chicago for the bean. They just I, go I to know, the bean I when they're in Chicago. I know people who've seen... That's valid. <laughs> I was going to argue. I've had friends who have gone to see the bean, but then I realized, no, they went for another purpose. Yeah. And then they took pictures with the bean. Yeah. So I, I get what you're saying. There was also that other controversy, right, where there was a fake one made. Not quite sure about that one, but what you just said about it being in New York goes into the next controversy I'd actually studied. Okay. So after it was made, a professional photographer went into the park and start taking pictures. In 2005, an article was posted to the blog New Suburbanism titled The Bean Police. So a, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a professional photographer named Warren Wimmer um, went to the park to take pictures and he was stopped by the police and told that he could not do that. However, professional photographers within the park need a permit to do so, and Wimmer did not have a permit. He actually bribed a police officer to allow him in the park without a permit. <laughs> so, full context there. Mm -hmm. But he was not allowed to take pictures of the park being included. Um, and then Bob Horsch, who's the owner of Bob Horsch Gallery, he's a photographer mm -hmm. as well, he was told to stop selling postcards that had the bean on them. Mm -hmm. And his point was, why am I not allowed to sell something that is right across the street from me in a public park? It should be public property because the Chicago commissioned it. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't be 
property of Nish Kapoor. It's only intellectual property. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So who owns public art? And that was the title of an article by the Christian Science Monitor Journal. It is the exact same question I'm posing to you guys today because the New York Bean brings up an interesting point about reproducing it because mm-hmm. that's what they try to stop with the pictures. So why are they allowed to do it and put it in New York when mm-hmm. people in Chicago are not even allowed to take pictures of the bean and sell it? even if they live in Chicago. Is that a restriction that Anish Kapoor put on that? No, that or seems like that it's a city of Chicago, Chicago thing. That's just weird. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to respond to that because I don't feel like there's another example of contemporary sculpture that I can think of that would have that sort of limitation on it. I mean, you go to museums and usually they have a no photography mm-hmm. rule. However, that usually is to protect the art in a way. Yeah. Um, glare from or flashes from cameras can damage artwork depending on what material you use. Yeah, I mean, if you're taking an iPhone photo and you don't have your flash on and like, I've seen people take selfies at the SF MoMA to match their outfit with the painting. Mm -hmm. But it's a stainless steel sculpture Mm -hmm. that's outdoors. It's built to survive. (laughs) (laughs) To the point, um, people who go there and just take pictures of the bean are allowed to do so. You can post it on social media. You can be like, I visited Chicago and saw the bean. Mm -hmm. Um, You might get Anish Kapoor saying it's Cloudgate. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he stalks social media to do that, like, no, to correct people. Joke. He doesn't actually do it. <laughs> oh my God, I, I thought he did. <laughs> no, it'd be hilarious. I'm like, that's, uh, that's like on track for him though. <laughs> no, I'm going to give him this. Anish Kapoor has other things to do. Yeah, then. no, for sure. Um, and I think the bean is more of an annoyance to him, like calling it the bean rather than Cloudgate mm-hmm. versus him, like actually seeking out to argue with people. He does seem like he... When he gets into arguments, like with the Stuart Semple thing, he will go into it for a bit and then exit. Stuart Semple did create a art gallery or art show recently where he, quote unquote, reignited the um, feud. With the Vanta Black, right? Yes. So for a little bit of context, um, Stuart Semple had created other paints as well. He created the Pinkest Pink, which is the most famous one. Uh, Diamond Dust, which is also called the world's glitteriest glitter. I don't like saying that because it's like a mouthful and I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. And Vanta Black is the blackest black. Mm-hmm. But then he made Black 2.0, which is oh. very similar to it and non-toxic. Okay. That's an important part because Vanta Black is extremely toxic. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because it was made by scientists. Okay. Yeah. And then there's this company, I keep seeing the ads for it on Instagram, where they have little vials of all of those paints that mm-hmm. you can use to like paint on your own painting. It's like the blue is blue, the pink is pink. They mm-hmm. have like Vanta Black, but it's Vanta Black 3.0. Yeah, he it, made a new one. Yeah, they made a new one just to like spite Anish Kapoor, which is like hysterical. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Anish Kapoor as a person does exist as a lot of person that seems to create controversy. Um, and we could spend the entire podcast talking about him. But we are limited in time. And also we have three people here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. But I think controversy seems to be like the ongoing theme with all of this, especially it all being public art. Mm-hmm. Mine, I this one is a relatively recent unveiling in like January of this year, 2023. And it's called The Embrace. It's fully bronze. It weighs like 19 tons. They paid $10 million for it. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. It's in Boston, in the uh, Boston Common. And it was made by a black conceptual artist. His name is Hank Willis Thomas. His normal art is very interesting and it's abstract and it's conceptual, but they asked him to create an artwork, a public artwork that would commemorate Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King and their history with the city of Boston. It specifically is called The Embrace because it's based off of a photo in like 1964 when Martin Luther King won the Nobel Peace Prize. 
Similar to the bean, it's kind of like welded together with smaller pieces, but it was finished when it was unveiled. (laughs) Um, But as soon as it was unveiled, there were two sides of the discussion and you were either on this side or this side and there was no in between. It's been widely panned by people as being negative. Martin Luther King's granddaughter and son were there for the unveiling, and they loved it. The whole message of this sculpture is to show, like, love and hope Mm -hmm. and, like, a lover's embrace instead of talking about, you know, the horror and a lot of the depressing, sad, racist ideology during the civil rights era. Also, to show their love of one another because they were a very like solid couple during that time but king's son and one of their granddaughters was there and they they loved it they said that this is this was our mom it's this was their relationship and this is how they were shown to the world and this is what they were like with each other however (laughs) a member of coretta scott king's family who is also who's like super alt-right by the way decided to talk about how it is disgusting and it panders to the liberals and stuff like that. And I was like, this is so dumb. But what's really interesting is, so it's made by a black artist. Mm -hmm. So this is what the arguments are. Either you're on the side of the coin where this is the epitome of black art. It's showing um, hope and love through history and a place that is historically at an important place for civil rights and was on the grounds of where a civil rights protest was held. Or this is completely racist, which Mm. the argument for that is that there's no faces to the sculptures. Mm. So you're also, you're not giving them a face. It's more like figurative conceptual. They spent $10 million on it, which people were like, if you are really trying to invest in black Mm -hmm. art, why are you not investing that money into black artists Mm -hmm. in Boston? Okay, that does, Because Hank Willis Thomas is not a Boston native artist. Mm. Oh, so it's kind of like the Jeffrey sculpture. Yeah, and... People just said not only is it aesthetically unpleasant, it somebody called it masturbatory. From certain angles, it can look super phallic. Can, the you, pers- just, can you describe the sculpture? I'm sorry to interrupt. So it's it's like literally their hands embracing one another, mm-hmm. but it's like they're crossed. You can walk through the statue. So is it just their arms then? Yes, it's okay. literally just their arms. There's no heads, they're disembodied arms. And you can tell which one is Coretta Scott King's because they have rings and yeah. watches on. The issue that I have with it and that a lot of people seem to have with it is that it depicts them as this like super loving couple when in reality they had like a really tumultuous marriage. He cheated on her numerous times. She was mostly like the you know, in the first lady position where, Mm -hmm. you know, the president does what he wants, but in the public eye, you are the (laughs) wife. And she is responsible for numerous amount of some of his civil rights accomplishments. She was the backbone and organizer for a ton of it. And nobody really talks about her. And so the fact that she's essentially like holding him up And this statue is really symbolic of what she's been minimized to in history. Because if you're really going to commemorate Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King, are you not going to give them, like, their faces? Yeah, that's a really interesting... It's a complicated... It's really weird, yeah. yeah. 
Because I would argue that Martin Luther and his wife are at this point like icons. Like mm-hmm. Martin Luther clearly like more so than his wife. Mm-hmm. He's still an important figure within history. Like we can recognize the fact that he had issues. He was mm-hmm. a person. But you also have to recognize that like for a lot of people he meant a lot. Yeah. And so did Coretta Scott. It's But hard. that's the thing. They're not native to Boston. This is just to commemorate the place that this is, which is the Boston Common, mm. which is for the civil rights protest. So mm. it could have been something to show about Martin Luther King or Coretta Scott King. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they chose something, especially a picture inspiration from something that wasn't even there. Mm-hmm. It's complicated. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Or even I, I find it a little weird. Commemorating the people rather than the organizers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know that a big push lately in terms of memorializing and public history has been trying to take it away from the key figures. Not that the key figures are not mm-hmm. important and relevant to history, but making it about the people who also made it happen, right? Like making history more tangible by talking about the local stories and the people who were involved. Mm. But it, I, I, I'm, I'm very hung up on the removal of the faces because you still have the icons of Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. And when I refer to Coretta Scott King as Martin Luther's wife, I'm doing so to almost highlight that, that imbalance mm-hmm. that you were talking about. Because, like, a lot of people know him, but they don't know her. I feel like as well-intentioned as this sculpture was, I feel like it does somewhat of a disservice to her in particular. You have, like, these faceless icons. Yeah. You have, like, these faceless icons. And, I mean, was it trying to be something where... He is a conceptual artist. The artist wanted you to, like, put yourself into the position of it? No. The way that he describes it is that it's just supposed to represent black love. Okay. I will say from a different angle, like, if you walk around, the way the arms are crossed in another angle it's supposed to look like a heart that's what a lot of people have said but it looks weird from different positions but the fact that i can't get over is that this was unveiled in 2023 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the selection process for this started in 2017 oh Oh, wow it was this was a six-year project are you telling me that nobody during this entire time brought up any issues with this sculpture they selected unanimously on this from like 126 submissions wow to me it's hard to find an exact place to stand on in this issue because on one hand the 10 million is a lot of money and Mm -hmm. you're right that could have gone towards local black artists within boston on the other hand when you said that the family of Credit Scott and Martha Luther King loved it, and what stuck with me was that it's our mom. It's our mom. It's our grandma. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. you so know. It, it has an emotional attachment to them. Yeah. To a family that's probably suffered quite a lot for having a very, very public figure within their family, someone who mm-hmm. is attached to this history of extreme racism, and a lot of people would argue we're not quite out of that history just yet. So in that, in that case, it's hard for me to fully like dismiss the statue because mm-hmm. it does have a meaning to people and then you got Coretta Scott King's alt-right family member who hates it <laughs> yeah that was an interesting little turn in the article that I read because like they went on Tucker Carlson to talk about oh it oh. and like Tucker Carlson used that as an excuse to like bash artists y- yeah that's another and <laughs> I was like this is so dumb but there's like it's Boston City Life magazine who's calling it for some, it's a symbol of love and unity and overcoming the city's racist past. But for others, it's the sign that Boston hasn't learned anything. Yeah, it's... I feel like 
they're using this sculpture as a catalyst to talk about other things, Mm -hmm. even if it's not directly Mm -hmm. related to them. Like, it's become... Once once there's a crack in the dam, mm-hmm. right, then the all of a sudden the floodgates are unleashed. Somebody said they were dismembering MLK and Coretta Scott King. I wouldn't take Ooh, it that no. far. A lot of black people have been calling it anti-black, even mm. though it's made by a black artist. This is the picture it's based off of. I mean, that's a sweet picture. It's a sweet picture, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a famous very, picture. Yeah, It does memorialize a very important part of history and of Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott's life. But when you live in the city of Boston, you see all of its faults and its problems. Mm-hmm. Specifically, if you, and I'm assuming if you are a black person living in the city of Boston, you see quite a lot of racism because mm-hmm. you, that's what you're experiencing within the city of Boston. Seeing the sculpture and knowing how much money was put into it, and maybe you're an artist, mm-hmm. you c- probably can't stop thinking like that $10 million could have gone to help other issues within the city first. I'm wondering if the city had purchased that sculpture or had it, so had it, it was a was it, purchased? it was a de- it was a design contest they set design out a contest. call for art for monumental okay. like art to specifically about black history most of the panel were black artists curators anybody in the art world the submissions they made sure came from black artists mm-hmm. it's they're good. It, it's good it's they're taking steps to make sure that their authentic experiences are being mm-hmm. told i will say though i think there is a bit of a blind spot because a lot of people were like talking about it the commissioners and stuff and they're like this is our statue of liberty there's a lot betting on this sculpture that brings up the question that i wanted to ask which was what was the purpose behind the design contest and was it supposed to be something that brought a monumental sculpture to the city that would attract tourism because the jeffrey coon sculpture was in large part a push by sacramento Mm -hmm. to like increase tourism for sure sacramento has really been doing that lately like like the beam yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and and large sculptures they become an identifying feature of the communities that they're a part of so i'm wondering if part of it was supposed to bring tourism or what boston's history is mm-hmm. in terms of talking about uh, the civil rights movement or the company that found it it's called like embrace foundation mm-hmm. so i think that's why you know they named it embrace and their whole goal it was to center on black joy and black mm-hmm. love and black unity but i think okay. those were like really the only guidelines I don't think it had to be about Martin Luther King or Coretta Scott King. I think the artist was definitely taking a risk with trying to model it after two extremely notable people because you're always going to get flack. People are always going to love or hate your work. What I find so interesting about this is that there is literally nobody in the middle of this. It's either (laughs) I hate it or I love it. Say it was in the middle of it. Like, I'm not quite sure how to feel about it. No, but like nobody can have a middle ground decision. It's so polarizing. Yeah, and then if you don't take a side, then you're contributing yeah. to either side of the yeah. issue. Yeah, oh it becomes like this it's issue really, of But it's, it's so interesting how polarizing this is because if you go on TikTok, there are so many people talking about how it is terrible. And then uh, when you go, uh, and then you look at the other side and they're like, this is a great sculpture. It's like one of those situations where someone says, like, I hate this sculpture. It's like, why do you hate this sculpture? Let's yeah. talk about that real quick. Because... On one hand, you might like uh, dislike it because you're not a big fan of the design. Maybe you thought it was better. Maybe you think it's not uplifting Coretta Scott or other mm-hmm. issues. Or 
you are Tucker Carlson. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's so diametrically opposite. There's no room for any like moderate response. I just found that really interesting because it was something that had popped up on my feed earlier in the year. And I was like, I feel like I need to know more about this to talk about this. So, yeah. you know. To go back to your point about it being him taking a risk once again, isn't that contemporary art? That is contemporary <laughs> art. And I don't think that's necessarily like a bad thing. No. I mean, he... The, the pieces I've seen of his work are very cool and very interesting and conceptual and try to embody like the black experience, especially as a black man. He's no stranger to doing monuments. So the fact that this one has like hit a red flag in the media is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think in the end, though, that's going to benefit Boston. Oh, for sure. Like, everybody's going to go on to see mm-hmm. it now. And, yeah. That's mm-hmm. kind of why people like the Jeffrey Kuhn statue. It's controversy. Yeah. Bad press is good press. I don't know if Anish Kapoor wanted Yeah, but now everybody knows yeah. his name. <laughs> Everyone knows. I would... A lot of people within, like... Gen Z and millennials probably know Anish Kapoor because of the Vanta Black. Of course, yeah. I feel like these statues often are brought in because maybe tourism is lacking. Like Sacramento is, I do like the city, but it's not the first place people go to when they visit California. No. That's always San Francisco or Los Angeles or Disneyland. We're the fourth grade field trip capital. We're the the halfway point to everywhere else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My friend was talking about coming down here, and when they were saying, they asked me, they were like, um, should I come to Sacramento or San Francisco? And I had to say, you probably want to go to San Francisco Disco, if you're going yeah. to be here for a couple days. Because there's more stuff to do. I feel like this city has a lot of merit. Um, and if you're into history, like I feel like all of us are, it's a good city to be in because there's a lot yeah. of history museums. There's a lot of really cool things to see. It's a nice art community. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a very nice art community. We have the Crocker Museum. Mm-hmm. Um but if a friend is coming down, they're all going to stay here for a couple days. I wouldn't bring them to Sacramento because they're going to want to see things like the aquarium in San Francisco, Monterey Bay, I feel like the com- sea lions. Comparing Sacramento and San Francisco it's, is, it's, is it's like comparing like the teacup ride at Disneyland to like the Matterhorn. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Most people don't even know it's the capital if they don't live California. Exactly. They assume yeah. It's San Francisco. Or Los Angeles. Or Los Angeles. But I just like was talking to somebody and because of like all the tourism and especially the notoriety that's coming with like all the Kings games recently, they're like, Sacramento is just turning into LA. I thought that was really interesting because like Sacramento's the, trying to make itself into LA, LA and yeah. San Francisco and they're doing so with all of these artist initiatives. And Which I think is a smart way to go about and it. Farm to fork. Yeah. So like attracting all of these businesses. Which I think is going to benefit Sacramento in the long run. I would have liked the Golden One Center to have a local Sacramento artist. I feel like Sacramento leaning into yeah. being a local art community is a good idea. That was the one of the main issues not only I had with the sculpture that I was looking at, but with the sculpture I think everybody at this table was kind of looking at, was the monetary allotment mm-hmm. for these sculptures mm-hmm. are massive. Yeah, mm-hmm. And even like small artist scholarships that you mm-hmm. could do like five thousand a thousand five hundred dollars to support artists in that community you're giving millions and millions and millions of dollars to these in jeff coons's case a corporate entity essentially to people who are already established and who aren't even regional to this area sac had a wide open walls mural we had the dreamers murals and we did local artists and we did students here but onto the point of it being people talk about the embrace, a lot of people in Sacramento also talked about how SAC is doing like these murals, but SAC is also not exactly 
being so super forthcoming with mm-hmm. issues underneath, which I'm not going to knock Sac State for personally or individually because I feel like it's a bigger education system issue. To your point, yeah, there are some massive issues that surround Sacramento that I feel like are very much just kind of glossed over in either the news or isn't really addressed when doing massive mural arts. It's a complicated issue. Like, to what point? And it just keeps happening over and over again. (laughs) Like, Jeffrey Coons can't stop thinking about the millions of dollars they spent on it and how much money they could have put towards things in Sacramento that really need fixing. I somewhat agree with that as somebody who is a lover of the historic district of old Sacramento. Oh God, so many of those buildings are so old and they're so cool the and old they just days. they need they need just a little bit of fixing up and some sprucing. But going towards the art is great. I don't think it should have gone towards that artist. Yeah. Towards Jeff Coons. <laughs> I love I love how we've circled back to Jeff, Jeff Koons. Koons. I'm yeah. just like watching. But him I think it's it's a commonality between all of ours is that none of these artists are local Anish to Kapoor lives in London. <laughs> none of these artists are local to the places where they mm-hmm. are creating this art mm-hmm. and who were commissioned by these cities to create this art. Mm-hmm. with these huge monetary allotments. So I feel like there's somewhat of the moral responsibility has kind of gone out the window. Yeah. Oh, do you want to know how much they spent on the bean? No, yes. I really don't. <laughs> I really do. It was $11.5 million. Yeah, that oh. seems to be like... The most expensive sculpture yeah. of our allotment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a dollar grant from SBC Telecommunications. It was in 2004. Um, and if you remember things that happened in 2004, I believe that was like when we were in the middle of a recession. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, we're in the middle of a war. Yeah. We're still in the middle we're of a war. We're still in the middle of a war. But it's just, it's weird to try and comprehend like all of this money going towards a giant piece of metal that will sit in a courtyard. But. I do like the bean. But though. we do like the bean. It's fun. <laughs> I like that it's called the bean. And I like that Anish Kapoor. Well, it's called Cloudgate. <laughs> And like Get it right, I, it's called Cloudgate. I will make an argument that public opinion wins in this situation. I have never heard a single person call it Cloudgate. And to that point, on the Choose Chicago website, it's literally listed as the, the bean, bean parentheses Cloudgate. Oh. <laughs> Quite honestly, by the cities, it's smart. It's a monetary investment in tourism mm. that they're probably going to make back tenfold. It just depends on how you look at it. Yeah. yeah. So to wrap everything up, Each of these contemporary sculptures have their own problems, but these sculptures bring up similar issues of content, funding, and of representation within their communities. We'd like to thank Art History Club, the club's moderator Maya Dosh, and our listeners. If you want to follow the Educated Art Review, check out our Instagram at Art History Club SAC. You can follow our zine, Our Art History, in the Sac State Galleries. If you're interested in joining the club, reach out to the Sacramento State Art Department. Finally, thank you so much to Philip Allstott for allowing us to record in this space. Be sure to check out his podcast, Beyond J. If you have any questions, be sure to reach out to our Instagram and shoot us a message. With that, I'm Madeline. I'm Anya. And I'm Olivia. Keep an ear out for the ear. <laughs>